You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Colt at the River. This morning, uh, I'm going to be ministering to you. I've entitled this Leaning into Change. So I'm going to be talking about some aspects in the Word that will help us change this year so that we can receive the Lord's best in our life. Can you say amen, everybody? Now, one of the things that I want to say to start with that is very, very critical is this. One of the things that happens to us is sometimes as we go through our journey of faith, we get into a valley situation or a hard situation and we get stuck. And no matter how hard we try, we can't seem to get unstuck. I'm going to help you today get unstuck from your disappointments, from your discouragements, from bad relationships, from financial downfalls. I'm going to show you how to get unstuck so that you can step into what God has for you. Are you ready for that, everybody? Come on, give God praise if that's true. It's going to be good. So I want you to look up in the screen, and we're going to use a verse here that I believe will really help you. Here's Jesus, and he says something really powerful. He says, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, and he said... The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now, I understand when I teach that last part, it's a little controversial. Some people say, wait a minute, the kingdom of God is not in unbelievers. He's only in believers. Uh, And they interpret it, well, Jesus was in their midst. That's what he was talking about. I'm not here to get into controversial issues. What I'm here to do is show you what he meant. What he meant was is this. Don't just look for outward change in your life. Because the kingdom of God doesn't start outwardly. It starts inwardly. In other words, when God begins to change us within ourselves, he begins to change the outside. But it's not the outside first, it's the inside And so as we look at this, I want you to understand that sometimes we get stuck and we're unable on the inside to really comprehend and receive all that God has for us. It reminds me of that little story of a little boy that was riding with his mom in the car and his brother was there too. And he was acting up. She's in the front seat, he's in the back, and he kept standing up while they were driving. And mom said, sit in your seat, put that seatbelt on and knock it off. And he would sit down for a while, put the seatbelt on, then all of a sudden he'd take it off and stand up again. Finally, she had her fill of him. And she said, if you don't sit down and put that seatbelt on, I'm gonna pull over right now, I'm gonna whip you. So he put it up and he sat down and he said this. He says, I'm sitting down on the outside but I'm standing up on the inside. And some of you, I want you, I want you to do is stand up on the inside. The, the world may have thrown you down and you may be sitting in a terrible situation. I'm going to show you how to stand up on the inside so that God can do the wonderful things that he wants to do in your life. Are you following me so far? Now, this is really important to me because I realize without the right mindset your faith will not soar. And in 2024, we have to be able to see ourselves possessing what God has promised he would give us. 
If you can't see it on the inside, you'll never get it on the outside. I'm going to give you three verses that the Lord spoke to me about while I was praying this week about this. Genesis 13, 14, Joshua 6, 2, and John 4, 35. I was talking to the Lord about this, and he said to me, he says, I want you to look at this text again that you've read many times. I want you to look at it. And in the text, you, you see a story of Abram and Lot. They prospered so much, they were fighting with each other. So Abram, rather than having discord with his relative, he says, you pick the direction to go and I'll go the opposite direction and we'll divide up the business. You go one way, I'll go that way. In the story, it says that Lot lifted up his eyes and he looked and he saw Sodom. He saw the real estate. It was watered. It says it was like Eden. So he saw in the natural a very good piece of ground, a place you would want to raise cattle, sheep, and so forth. So he went in that direction. Abram, on the other hand, obviously was headed in the direction where it wasn't well watered or Lot would have went that way. And so he's there and the Lord speaks to him and says this to him. He says, now lift up your eyes now and see from where you're at. Eastward, westward, and so forth. And he says, all that you see I've given to you and your descendants. Soon as I read that one part, the Lord said, and you're the descendant. I said, what do you mean? He says, what I promised to Abraham, I promised to you. And the way that I gave it to Abraham is the way that I'll give it to you. And it really ministered to me because I realized what God did for Abram, he did for us. Amen? And when he looked, he saw real estate, but wasn't developed. It wasn't grass. It wasn't a land that flowed in milk and honey when he saw it, but he saw it through the eyes of faith. Can you say amen? And then you read on and you see the manifestation of this when Joshua, his descendants, went in the promised land. Uh, remember they, they cross over the Jordan supernaturally and they are right before Jericho, which is a city that is, the walls are so, so wide, they would have chariot races on top. And they don't have chariots. They don't even have the modern war, uh, weapons that people had in the prom, promised land. And yet they're, they're supposed to possess it. And so God says to Joshua, he said, look, I have given you the city and all the mighty men in it. Now, I want you to catch this. Had the walls fallen down yet? Had they? Had the mighty men been de de uh, defeated yet? Nope. No. So he's asking Joshua to envision victory over something that he did not yet possess, just like Abram did. Amen? Jesus in the New Testament did the same thing in John's Gospel, the fourth chapter. Four months before the resurrection, he tells the people, he says, his disciples, he says, don't say the harvest isn't for four months. Don't say it. How many know sometimes we say things that destroy our faith? Yes. Don't say it. He said, now lift up your eyes and see, for the harvest is white. Oh, glory to God. At that time in Jesus' ministry, persecution was going on. 
There were some towns that he could not go into. In other words, the religious leaders were at a point they wanted to kill Jesus anytime they could kill him. And at that point, at that junction, when people didn't like Jesus, he says, I want you to look and see that the harvest is white for ripe. Amen. And in other words, it's ready now to possess my best. Praise God. And what I want you to know, whatever you've been going through in your life, I want you to understand right now, I want you to look up and see that God has provided you a breakthrough. He's provided you all of that, but you're going to have to see it through the eye of faith. You're going to have to see your family restored. You're going to have to see your children restored. You're going to have to see your country restored. You're going to have to see your church restored. You're going to have to see your friends restored. You're going to have to see your health restored. You're going to have to see all of that to be in the position to break that place you're in where you're stuck. I'm just stuck, Lord. Whatever I seem to look at, I don't seem to see it. I try to see myself out of it, but all I see is what's wrong. All I see is what I don't have. All I see is what I lack. All I see is the, uh, an opportunity that never came. I don't see the way out that you've promised us. We get stuck. I'm going to give you some tools in the Word of God. They're going to help you in this area. Now, here's the first thing I want you to do. Don't wait until things change. Don't wait until your spouse is perfect. Don't wait until your children are smart. Don't wait until that door opens for you in your career. Don't wait until you feel better. Don't wait until things change in the government. Don't wait right now, right now, right now, right now. See yourself in the blessings of God. That's something that many times we don't do it. And I'm going to give you a key to this. And this is something that's helped me for years because being a pastor, you deal with negativity all the time. And it's very, very difficult not to gravitate towards negativity in your life. But you're absolutely useless as a pastor if all you do is see the faults in the people. You have to see the virtue and the grace of God, and the mercy of God, and the way God makes every person with their gifts and talents to help them. you got to be able to see that. I'm going to give you a verse that helped me. This is Ecclesiastes 7.8. Look what it says. The end of a thing is better. Say an end of a thing is better. Say it again. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patience in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Now, here's what I want to emphasize in this. In life, what we do is we have moments where we're arguing, doing this and that. Here's a, ru a rule that I've learned. Always in conflict or problem in a positive note. Whatever you're going through, whether it's a discussion with your kids or your wife and it becomes heated, make sure that whatever you in with, you end with a positive note. Because if you end with a positive note, then the next time you'll start with a positive note. But if you end with a negative note, then you're going to start with a negative note and you'll not be able to solve the problems in your life. Can you say amen? In other words, train yourself, get some new habits where whatever you're discussing, whatever you're doing, you always end that in a positive note. My wife told me that years ago. He said, honey, I loved your message, but you ended it on a negative note. 
So what do you mean? And then she would remind me. I said, I'm sorry, baby. I learned that you have to end whatever you do in a positive note if you want to start the next thing in your life in a positive way. Am I, the only, am I just preaching to myself here this morning? You want to have a good marriage? How many know when you get married, the husband always thinks he's right and the wife always thinks she's right? Oh, I'm just going to go home if you're not going to cooperate with me. <laughs> and when you get into discussion and you're arguing, uh, don't end with a negative note or when you talk about it again, you'll start out negative and you will not be able to solve the problem. I always tell my wife, you, I, I tell my wife this, I said, baby, you know that 98% of the times I'm right. <laughs> now, she doesn't believe my confession of faith. But what we always do, whoever is right or wrong, we always end on a positive note. Because then the next time I have to talk to her about something difficult, we'll start in a positive way, then start in a negative way. If you start in a negative way, you'll always end with a negativity. But if you start positively, you'll be great. Amen? Amen. So I believe that this is a key to staying positive, particularly in the negative world that we live in. For example, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 4, Jesus said, Judge not, for with one measure you judge, it shall be measured to you. But then he said this. He says, Take the... Take the speck out of your own eye before you attempt to put the, take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, that text is not saying that we're not to judge anything. He's talking about people who are critical. When people are critical, they start out the conversation or they start out the evaluation by finding fault. And so if you do that, it comes back to you. In other words, if, I, if, if, if all I do is when I look around in my family and the church and whatever, all I do is find fault with this or find fault with that, I'm going to, number one, kill the desire for the things that I really love about the church or kill what I really love about my family and my wife. Say amen. amen. You want a good marriage? Good relationship? What I want you to do is I want you to take and put all the good qualities on one side and have very few bad qualities on the left side. Because whatever list has the most will be the list that attracts either faith or attracts doubt. Let me say it to you this way. If I'm talking about my marriage and I, and I begin to say, well, okay, my wife does this and this and this, and I'm not going to mention anything because I'm a smart pastor... And, and, the, and the list keeps going up and 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 it's way up here. And then somebody says, well, how do you like being married? And I got three or four things down here. Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to lose my desire for that woman. Because the, whatever is the biggest list is what attracts in your life. So if I have a long list of her qualities, which there, there's many of them. It creates a greater desire for her. 
And that's why you see people in church go from church to church sometimes because they begin to find fault in the church and their list starts out. It's only a couple things and it goes to the next thing and the next thing. After a while, the list is like 20 things long and they don't desire that church anymore because the list is too long. Say amen. But if you were to write down all the qualities of your children, all the qualities of your husband, and you were to meditate on that, and the list got longer and longer and longer. Like, my wife's list for me is so long, I can't even mention everything. <laughs> then her desire for me gets stronger. How many know that there's good things in our life that we should desire very passionately for, and there's things in our life we shouldn't desire? We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't uh, desire a broken relationship. We shouldn't desire broken fellowship. We shouldn't de de desire failure. We should desire success. So you got to make sure what list you're building on. Amen? If you're critical... You attract more for your critical list. But if you're positive, you attract more things for your positive list. Praise God. That's true. So in 2024, I want all of you to evaluate that in your life so that God can begin to minister to you in a great way. I want you to understand I'm talking about spiritual habits this morning. You've got to develop spiritual habits that open up your vision of what God has for you. And habits are something that do not happen automatically. In fact, let me give you a scientific uh, proof on this. Uh, years ago, people would say, the way that you, it takes, oh, I think it was 21 days to form a habit. People universally believe that. It's a myth. It's not true. It actually came from a, a surgeon who, who, uh, who was, uh, did plastic surgery. And what he did is he discovered that when he did work on a woman's face or a man's face, it took about 20 day, 21 days for them to accept the new look. And he also measured it by amputees where they would lose a member of their body. And it took them 21 days before they stopped thinking that that limb was there when it wasn't. It was never designed to say that a habit takes 21 days. You know how long a habit actually takes to develop within you? Six to seven months to a year. My point is, if you are, not in, if you are inconsistent in church, in hearing the word, in prayer, or anything that you're trying to develop spiritual blessings in, you're not going to get it because you were in need and came to church. Now, I'd like to lay hands with you and get instant, but it isn't like that you'll always gravitate back to that negative side until you develop a habit that I'm going to end on a positive note, whatever I do in my life. I said the Bible says to give thanks in all things. Amen. Bible said all things work together for the good. Bible said no weapon formed against it shall prosper. And you begin to end on that positive note. But it's not something that happens just quickly. It takes a little bit of time. But again, when you get stuck, the way out is by developing new habits, good habits, habits of prayer, habits of seeking God, habits of watching your confession, habits of seeing things through the eyes of the word rather than through the eyes of the world. 
If all you do is feed on the news media, you will, in fact, create bad habits. It doesn't matter whether you're Democrat or Republican. News is all the same. Bad news sells. Good news doesn't sell. I'm preaching good news. I said good news. Hallelujah. Now, there's something that I want you to remember this. When you got born again, if you accepted Christ, your spirit was raised up with Christ and you were seated in heaven and face in Christ Jesus. How many know that Jesus' resurrection is incorruptible? So it's your spiritual birth. It's incorruptible. Your spirit man has been raised up in Christ. You're seated in heavenly places. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You have a guarantee that one day when Jesus comes back that you're going to go up with him. It is it's something that God has changed on the inside of you, and it is so awesome. In fact, let me say it to you this way. When you get saved, the first thing God does is change the insides. That's yes. the first. And in your insides is everything that you might need that pertain to life and godliness. It's already in there. I heard one preacher, he was, I believe he's in England, and he was describing this, and he said that on his neighborhood, there was this beautiful mansion, and a guy had moved in there, and it was a new house, whatever, and then after about four years, he'd moved out. So a new guy bought the house, and he drove by one day, and he noticed all this stuff out in the yard. So he was curious, he pulls over, he goes over, and he talks to one of the workers and said, oh, the, the guy that just bought this, he's putting new carpet in, new flooring, new paint, new appliances. He's changing everything on the inside. That's exactly what happens when you get saved. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, things have become new. So you have all the stuff on the inside you need to get the breakthrough in your life that you desire, that you want in your life. You have it. It's already there. But sometimes we get the idea, well, the Bible says just be content with what I have. Do you know what content means? It means self-sufficient. In other words, you're self-sufficient when you got what you need right now to get out of the mess that you're in. You're self-sufficient when you got right now everything you need to prosper. Right now everything you need to get healed. Right now everything you need to be restored. That's self-sufficient. It doesn't mean that you go through life and you're content with nothing. It means self-sufficient. Remember the story of the woman that her, her, she had four sons. The creditors were coming to take her sons to work off the debt of her husband who had died. And she went to the prophet because she was a godly woman. And the prophet said, what do you have in your house? She had a little cruise of oil. And that little cruise of oil, remember the story, was poured in. And God multiplied. And it was all that she needed in her house. To not only pay off her debt, but to give her retirement as well. What's in your house? Come on. What's in your house? What's in your house? We always hear that expression, what's in your wallet? I'm saying, what's in your house? If you've accepted Christ, you've got everything in your house that you need. Hallelujah. Woo. Now, let me show you something that it may be challenging, but it's necessary. Whatever you've lost, whether a spouse, whether a relationship with someone you love that ran off, broken marriages, whether children that are rebellious, not cooperating, 
whatever you have went through that you're stuck in, you got to decide today that you got to believe that God can deliver you out of it. You, you, can't, you can't say to yourself, well, I'm not sure he's going to do it. No, you got to believe. David said, if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, I would have lost heart. You will give up. You will get stuck if you believe you can't come out of it. But if you believe you can come out of it and God can give you life after divorce, give you life after a financial failure, give you life after your sin. Come on, say amen. Then... You'll be in a position, because here's what I've learned. If I have just a little desire, I have little motivation. If I have big desire, I have big motivation. You can't get out of what you're stuck in with little motivation. You got to have big motivation. That means you got to feed on that word until the desire gets stronger and stronger and stronger and has no limits and has no boundaries that you believe I'm going to be delivered from it, that I'm not too old, I'm not too young, I'm not too unbetween. Praise God. God can bring me out of it. God can bring me over to the other side. you got to believe that or you'll lose heart. And there's a lot of people that lose heart. There's a lot of people that are stuck in something that happened to them in the past. Maybe it was an unfaithful spouse, or maybe just a spouse that was dissatisfied with you that didn't want to work on it anymore. Or maybe it was a career opportunity that missed you. Or maybe a business that you started and it failed, and it took all of your life savings. People get stuck they get stuck. And when you're a creature of habit, if you have the wrong habits, you will always gravitate back towards the same kind of thinking, the same kind of evaluation, the same type of quitting thinking, and it'll get worse and worse and worse, and you'll find yourself stuck. Turn to your neighbor and say today that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get unstuck. Say it, say it like you mean, I'm going to get unstuck. I've been, this has been sticking on me way too long. I'm going to get unstuck. There's a verse in 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 1. It's a powerful verse. It's one I've always been fascinated, Anna. And in it, the prophet is being ministered by the Lord. And the prophet is at a funeral. The funeral is of King Saul, who God took the anointing off, and he lost the promises that God had offered him, and the mentor that he had was the prophet Samuel. He was his mentor. And he failed. How many know you can be the best mentor in the world, but a person can still fail? It still takes their personal decision. So here is the prophet, and he's grieving, he's mourning over the loss of Saul. And the Lord says this, how long, how long will you mourn? Fill up that, that container of oil and go out and anoint the next king. 
But he said, how long are you going to mourn? How long are you going to mourn over that broken relationship? How long are you going to grieve after missing the mark? How long are you going to suffer and say, I can't do anymore? How long are you going to act the way you're acting right now because you lost the very thing that you love? How, how long are you going to mourn after the person or the place or the thing? How long are you going to mourn after it? I'm not trying to chastise you. I'm trying to say, how long? That's what God wants to know. How, how long are you going to let what happened to you keep you stuck? I'm never going to get married again. I'm never going to trust a man again. There's no more good men left. Yes, there is. You're stuck. I'm no longer going to be involved in the church. I got burned last time, and I'm just going to come. I'm going to show them. I'm not going to. I'm just, you're stuck. Well, I'm never going to try anything new because I tried it before, and, I, and this happened, and that happened. You're stuck. How long are you going to mourn over your losses? We all have losses. We all have pain that we go through. We all get stuck. Around the corner from my house, there's a house there, and there's a little old lady that lives there, and she's the most fantastic gardener I've ever seen. But the interesting thing about this little old lady is that when she goes out to work in the garden, she's bent over. She's always bent over. She has what the medical field called atrophy. It's when your body gets stuck in a certain position, and because you don't change that position, the muscles don't develop, and so it gets stuck. Some of you have atrophy. I'm stuck by that last offense. I'm stuck by that last failure. I'm stuck by that last disappointment. I'm going to help you get unstuck today because that's my calling in life, is to get you to soar in life, to get you to overcome in your life. But you're going to have to acknowledge the fact that you're stuck. That you're not going as far as you need to go. That you're allowing what happened to you in the past to keep you from the blessings. Hallelujah. You ever meet a single woman that's been hurt? Ever meet a divorcee that can't stand when you talk about marriage? Ever talk to someone who lost a considerable amount of money, life savings, and they're stuck? I'm never going to trust that guy again. I'm never going to invest again. I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do that. And they walk around stuck like this, and their joy is there, and their list they had for that is this long, and their list of their successes are this long. And they're unhappy because they have spiritual atrophy. Do you have a spiritual atrophy in your marriage because you found out your husband was watching pornography? 
Do you have spiritual atrophy in your career because you were passed over because one of the relatives got the promotion instead of you? I don't know what your pain is, but I know you have it. And what I want to do is show you how to come out of it. I want everybody to stand to your feet right now as we bring this to a conclusion. God wants to cure you of this spiritual atrophy. He wants you to have freedom again. He wants you to dream big again. He wants you to stretch yourself out again. He wants you to accelerate. There's a story in the Bible that talks about this. And it's found in Luke's Gospel, the 13th chapter. And it was Jesus. It was on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders of the day said you couldn't heal on the Sabbath, which was a ridiculous idea, but yet that's what they said. And there was a lady there that was, had been bent over for 18 years like this. Jesus said, come on up here. And he brings her up on whatever platform he was ministering at. And he said to everybody these words, and I want you to hear this. She's a daughter of Abraham. If you're a daughter of Abraham, you shouldn't have to live this way. If you're a daughter of the king or a, a, come on, you shouldn't have to live. If you're a son or daughter of the king, you shouldn't have to live that way. If you're a, come on, you shouldn't have to live that way anymore. You, you, you are, you begotten of God. You are the children of God. You shouldn't have to be this way anymore. And then he goes over to the woman and he says, she has this spirit of infirmity. Now, here's what I want you to hear. A lot of you don't get this. Whenever you get stuck, you're in danger of demonic oppression. It's almost like a demon comes rest on your shoulder and whispers to you, he's been lying to you ever since the beginning. He never wanted anything from you but your money anyway. He's had other girls, not just this one girl. And this demon, and that's because no one likes you, no one cares, come on, and this demon will just oppress you and oppress you, and even though you're a Christian born and kin, you're bent over, the demon's been speaking to you, and I'm telling you that Jesus laid his hands on him, and as soon as he laid his hands on him and said, woman, be free, she stood up, and that spiritual at at atrophy was broken. It was broken. It was broken. Man, I tell you what, I'm so excited this year because I really feel a momentum spiritually that God, see, we, last week was incredible. If you missed last week, I don't just watch the video, I guess. It was incredible. It was incredible. But, but this is after last week. Now we got to see it and see it. But if you're stuck, you can't see it. If you're bent and you can't get up from what happened to you, ah, you're going to miss your blessing. Here's what I want to do today. I'm not saying everybody's stuck. But I'll guarantee one thing. Before it's over, you will eventually get stuck. Everybody gets stuck for a season. David got stuck for a season. Everybody gets stuck. But if you say, Pastor, that's me. I got spiritual atrophy. I'm still carrying the baggage from the past. 
I can't seem to see, get past it. If that's you this morning, I want you to step out from where you're at and come on down the front here. We're going to pray a corporate prayer for you. Don't be ashamed. Just come on down. We're going to pray. God is able to restore, rebuild. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on. Give, give, come on, church. Come on. This is good. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. How many believe that God can deliver you from it? How many believe in deliver from your mistakes? Amen. How many believe that he can do better than he did before the mistake? Amen. How many know that grace is greater than sin? How many know that grace is greater than a lack of wisdom? God is able to do that for you. He's able to do it. But I'm gonna pr- I want to give you a little bit of wisdom before we pray. Whenever you have a condition where you're trying to get back and be- get mobile again, you go to a therapist, and let's say that you fell and you broke a hip or whatever it may be, you don't start out running. You don't even start out walking. You start out getting up. Some of you got to start just by getting up in the morning, washing your face, saying, I'm an overcomer, praise God. You got a great purpose for me in my life. You got to start right there. And as you get up every morning and you wash your face and you put on that new set of clothes and you begin to walk, hallelujah, you'll start walking. And then after you walk for a while, you can start running to your destination, running to your blessing. Come on. You can start rejoicing. Woo. <laughs> Woo. All right. Reach your hands. We're going to pray. Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus, and we break every spirit that would try to hinder, that would try to hamper, that would try to hinder, that would try to stop the blessing from happening in our lives, and we come against that spirit in the name of Jesus, and we stand up right now, and we count it all joy, and we give thanks that this is a new day with a new vision with a new breakthrough, with a new zeal, with a new joy, with a new happiness. And we shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Woo. Wow. Somebody just need to get up and stand up every day. Look in the mirror and say, I'm better looking than I thought I was. I'm more gifted than I thought I was. In fact, I'm actually cute with my white hair. Say amen. Don't let the devil give you a mirror of what you are. In God's sight, you're the apple of God's own eye. You were created in his image and likeness. You got special gifts. You got special blessings that God wants you to share with the world, with your family and everything else. You're not down that you can't get up. You're not out that you can't make it. You are blessed, highly favored of God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.